Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. The Bible is filled with with all kinds of crazy characters that did some crazy things for God. There's this one guy by, by the name of Shamgar. Anybody ever hear, ever hear of Shamgar before? All right, there we go. We got one Shamgar fan. There, there is, there's like very little ink spilled about Shamgar. But what he was, he was a judge. And as a judge, one of the things that he did is he would um, defeat the people like the Philistines or the Canaanites or whoever came into Israel to, to oppress them. He, he would, th- these judges would take these people on just to you know, kick them out of the country again. And it's, all it says about Shamgar is that he took an ox goad, which is a long pole with a brass tip on one end and a knob on the other end. And it says that he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. That's all it says about him. He's a tough dude. You don't want to meet Shamgar if you're a Philistine. But in the book of Judges, there was another judge that came along with probably the greatest potential of all the judges. Matter of fact, maybe he had the highest potential of anybody in the Bible except for maybe Jesus and John the Baptist. And his name is Samson. And the reason we know that he was going to have, he had such great potential is that God told his parents that this, this boy, this baby boy that's going to be born to you, he's going to be special to me. And what he is going to do is he's going to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines who've been oppressing and killing and plundering and stealing your crops and stealing your women and doing all this rotten stuff to you. I'm going to raise up a deliverer, and his name is going to be Samson, and he will deliver my people from the oppressors. And what, what God said is, is, this is how I know he's going to be mine. I'm going to make a, a, a vow with him, and he will be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was simply some um, a person who, or man who didn't cut his hair. He never put a razor to his head. Um, he didn't drink any alcoholic drinks at all, stayed away from them. He was forbidden to touch a dead carcass, human or animal, and the third thing, or the fourth thing that he was supposed to do was to marry an Israelite woman. No foreign women as your wives. And so he had all the potential in the world to do something really great, not just for God, but for his people as well, because they were under this great oppression by the Philistines, and it was just a horrible time to be in Israel. And so um, God called Samson. But, but the problem Samson had was himself. Because God, the Bible tells us that God came on Samson in a mighty way, in such a mighty way that there wasn't a single human being who could stand up against the strength that God gave to him. Matter of fact, when I was a boy, I thought if I was going to be any kind of a superhero, it would be Samson. Because in the Bible, it says that he took the jawbone. Now, when I was a kid reading the Bible, it was the King James. So I'm going to say it the King James way. He took the jawbone of an ass and he... He killed 
like all these fil- who's giggling that's a go- that's a donkey come on anyway so i just thought that would be really cool to you know be that strong to to pick up a tree by the roots and carry it home and say, Dad, I got your firewood for you, and lay the tree down in the, you know, that kind of, that's what I kind of thought Samson would be like. And here was the problem that Samson had, is that he didn't really follow the things that God laid out for him. He, he didn't set himself apart to be holy, used by God. What happened was he had the opportunity to set all of Israel free, but instead, he fell apart, started spiritually. He, he broke his covenant with God. He found this good-looking Philistine woman and brought her home and said, this is going to be my wife. And his mom and dad said, no, you can't do that. You cannot marry. What's wrong with the good Jewish Sarah right down the street? She's beautiful. What's wrong with her? And for whatever reason, he had to follow after this Philistine woman, and, and she died. And then he had a bunch of friends who led deprived lives, and he got sucked into their depravity. He also used the God-given powers that he had selfishly, um, wastefully. He used them just on himself, not necessarily for the good of the people around him. And then he, he had this, you know, that one woman, that bad woman, Delilah, she would, she no bueno. But he, he lost his, his vision for what God had called him to do. He became desensitized spiritually. He lost his spiritual perception. And his potential was unfulfilled. The tragedy is that the man who was supposed to be the great deliverer for Israel and set them free, actually because of his sinful lifestyle and his pride, became a slave, literally. They bound him up in chains, gouged out his eyes, cut his hair, and he lost the favor of God. Someone with a great potential who was supposed to set people free actually found himself in bondage. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, this is where we discover when Jesus talks about slavery and how to get free from that and what it looks like. And so that's where we're going to start today is in verse 31. And here's what Jesus said to the people. He said, to all the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now, the first thing I want you to, to realize here is that it says that all, he was speaking to all the people who believed in him. So Jesus would go to the temple. That was his favorite place to be. And he'd go in the temple and he'd take the word of God and he would open it up and he would teach the people what God's word had to say. Jesus was like no one else. No one else could compare to the, to the teaching abilities that Jesus had because he would take some of the most complicated and complex things about God and he would deliver them to the people that didn't just touch their minds but made that 14-inch travel from their brain to their heart and they became alive with the Word of God. It just ignited a fire in them. And so they were just unbelievably enthralled with all that Jesus taught them. Not only that, but he had a deeper understanding into God's Word than anyone they had ever met. 
And so he captivated them. And when he spoke, they believed in him. And what that means in the context that they believed in him is that they believed in him to be the one, the one and only, who would take away your sin. You're the old, Jesus was the only one who could forgive you of your sin and, and give you life, eternal life. People believed in him. It didn't matter where he taught. If he was in the, in the temple, people would come early because they knew Jesus was in town and they wanted to listen to him. If he was out in Judea in the countryside, they would gather by the thousands to listen to the message that Jesus had because it was so compelling and it was so moving and it was so real that it transformed their lives and they believed. But here's what happens right here because Jesus is talking to all those who believed. It says that. To, to the people who believed in him for salvation. He made this point to him. He said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Here's, here's the first point I really think Jesus is trying to get at. That you can be a believer and not be a disciple. There's a big difference in that. And, and, I, and I think that a lot of times there are a lot of people in church who are believers but they're not disciples. And, and there's a distinction, and Jesus makes a distinction. He, that wasn't by, he's not using the word disciple to describe what a believer looks like. He's saying that if you're a believer, you can move beyond being a believer and become a disciple because there are some things that take place in a disciple's life that's different than a believer. And by the way, let me just tell you this, that if you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, that's the starting point. That's where you have to begin. You can't start as a disciple and then go back and become a, a believer. You start as a believer. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he forgave you of your sins, and you live under his forgiveness, under the the umbrella of his forgiveness, his blood covers all of your sin. Every sin you will ever commit, every sin that you committed since you were three years old until you're 103 years old, all of that is under the umbrella of Jesus' forgiveness for you. That's what a believer believes in. But there's more. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying you can be a believer and that's a good spot to start with. But if you really want to be my disciple... You want to be my disciple? Here's what you have to do. You have to remain faithful to my teachings. So what, what is a disciple like? Well, I'm going to give you about three different, there's many things, but I'm going to give you just three things that will identify a person as a disciple. And so kind of the first step in this relationship is, is to believe then you become a disciple. But one of the first things that happens, I believe, when you, do, when you step into becoming a disciple of Jesus is that you find yourself formulating a new expression of love for people that you never did before. Matter of fact, the way that Jesus said it in John chapter 13, he said, by this, all people will know that you are my what? if you have love one for another. We go like, well, that's easy. I don't know what planet you live on. I mean, sometimes I have a hard time loving myself, let alone my neighbor, and you know who my closest neighbor is? I think it's my wife. <laughs> She's been gone for a month or a little bit better. I just counted it up the other day. She's, she's been gone almost 40 days. We'll see if we're neighbors when she gets home today. Rawr. 
I am a man. <laughs> and God said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing is blessed by the Lord. Amen? Yeah, yeah you got it. Okay, so. But, what, but this whole thing about loving one another, this, it, it shows your allegiance to Jesus because the love that you have now post becoming a believer, stepping into becoming a disciple of Jesus, when you step into that love relationship, it's totally different than the way you've ever loved anybody else ever before your entire life. Because I'll be honest with you, in this group of people sitting in here, you don't get along, you don't naturally are attracted to everybody. You wouldn't call them your pizza buddy. You don't call everybody up in the church and go like, hey, we're getting pizza. Come on over. We're going to have some pizza. We're going to eat some s'mores. We're going to have a great time. Come on. No, because not everybody is your pizza buddy. But yet that's what the whole point about what Jesus is saying here is that if you're going to be a disciple of mine, then you go, what you have to do, what you're going to be able to do is to show this unbelievable expression of love to everybody who walks with Jesus. You know, the easiest place to express that love is right here on Sunday morning. You come in, and we get up, and we go, welcome, glad you're here, great songs. Take three minutes and love on some people. And you're going like, okay, I get to check my box today because I'm going to love some people. I'm going to go somebody I don't know, and I'm going to give them a little bit of love. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about. That's not the point that he's trying to make here. The kind of love that you have for these people is to be this love that you get when you become a disciple of Jesus. After believing, you're, you're stepping into trusting Jesus for all these things, is that you're able to love the people that are difficult to love. We all have EGRs extra grace required people in our, in our lives. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, he produces the fruit of the Spirit. The first one of the fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned is... Yep. Somebody's been reading. Love. Love. It's love. I just love. And, and it's, it's not the love you have for your children. It's not the love you have for your wife. It's a supernatural imposed love by the Holy Spirit that you can just love that person no matter how much they drive you a little bit crazy, a little bit bonkers. You love them. And, and not just that, it's when you leave this place and you're walking downtown or you're, you're talking with people downtown and you see the person that's most difficult for you to be around and you express some love to them, here's what happens, and Jesus says it happens, is that that person that you're talking to that doesn't even love Jesus looks at you and you express love to that person, they're going like, what's the deal with that? That person drives me nuts. Don't they drive you nuts? And you go, well, just a little bit, but I love them. And they're going like, how can you love somebody like that? And then that's where you get to say, it has nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with Jesus, because Jesus infused me with his Holy Spirit, who helps me to love people who sometimes just come across as unlovable. And that is a strong, Jesus said it right here, by this, all people will know, everyone will know, the way you love each other out there, everyone will know that you're a disciple of Jesus. It won't be a mystery. People won't be wondering, do you go to church? They'll say, you go to church. You love Jesus, because this is crazy how you love that kind of a person. It's just the most 
amazing thing. It's that you can show love to them, and this is the way we do it. I show love to that person because I think more highly of them than I think of myself. The other thing that I do is that I'm more patient with them than I normally would have been. And it means that I don't take offense to every little thing that they say that is a little bit wonky and comes across as, uh, you know, a slap in the face rather than a kiss on the cheek. We just love them. That's what it is. The second expression of a disciple is putting Jesus first in all things. I mean, that's a big thing. We, we, we live and work primarily to take care of our families, to provide, to pay the mortgage, to keep the lights on, to put re- uh, food in the refrigerator, to buy a new refrigerator when the old one dies. I mean, we, we go about and we have these jobs for that purpose. But really what the Bible tells us is that whatever I do, whatever I put my hands to do, do it for the glory of God, first of all. And whether I eat or drink or anything I do, do it for his namesake. That's, that's my primary goal, to do it for Jesus. And so I, I take a look at everything that I possess, everything that I own, everything that I earn, everything that is a part of my life, including you, and I thank God for all of it, and I say none of it belongs to me. The way that Jesus would have put it to us in Luke chapter 9 is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's the come after me, that's what a disciple does. A disciple actually in the um, New Testament when it talks about different disciples belonging to different teachers, it was really that as the, the teacher walked, that you were so in, uh, close in proximity to your teacher that the dust from his sandals would kick up onto your robes, onto your clothing. That's how close proximity you were to them. And so, so Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. Instead of putting your needs first, instead of always looking for yourself and always wanting to do the things that you're going to do, you're going to sacrifice some stuff. You'll sacrifice your time, your energy, your rights, position, reputation, privileges, comforts for the sake of Jesus and for the good of your fellow Christ followers because then you can exemplify to them what it means to walk with Jesus and deny yourself. That's what it means to be a true disciple. The third expression of a disciple of Jesus is that they become a disciple-making disciple. You're a disciple who's making more disciples. Because that's the words that Jesus gave to his, his, um, his disciples, the apostles, just as he was about ready to ascend into heaven. He said to them, he goes, oh, one last thing I have to tell you. And pay attention because this is a big one. Now, because all authority has been given to me, you go on your way, and wherever you go, you make disciples. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's a disciple-making disciple. And that's, that's what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus said, if you truly are my disciples, if you will remain faithful to my, if you remain faithful to my teachings... By the way, that word remain 
It, it also is in other translations, the word abide. And it carries with it a sense of staying the course, enduring. Not like having to endure, you know, going to the dentist endurement, but to endure with more of a steadfastness or a persistence. And at, when we're at that place, we will find some of the great, when we persist and we remain, we will find some of the greatest benefits that we could ever receive from Jesus. And one of them, I'm just going to share one of them. There's many. I'll just share one of them with you from John chapter 15, where Jesus said this, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever, ask for anything you want, and it will be granted to you. But this is a conditional promise. This isn't, this isn't like the promise of salvation. The promise of salvation has no conditions attached to it at all. You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is a promise, no, nothing else with it. But on this one, because it's a, Jesus says, if you remain in me. You have to stay. You have to be, you have to be patient. You have to endure where you're at. You can't give up. You can't walk away. You can't be flip-floppy with Jesus. You can't go, one day I love you, Jesus, and the next day I love what's going on in the world, and I love all the trappings of the world. That they, I love you, Jesus, but I love the world more tomorrow. And, and we just keep going back. That's not remaining in Jesus. That's being uh, tossed by every wave that, that is out there brought by mankind. When we, when we remain with Jesus, it's like we're, we're anchored to the bedrock of our soul. And Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words, again, we come back to the word and how important it is to our lives. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Then, the, the, the if is connected now. Then you can ask for anything you want and it'll be granted to you. And by the way, when you remain in Jesus and in his words, you're not asking for stupid stuff like a, you know, hot rod, Corvette, motorboat, bicycle. That's my wish. But there's this condition to it that Jesus is teaching us, and, and it want, he wants us to remain in that. But Jesus goes on and back to John chapter 8, and he says this, when you remain in my words and, and my words remain in you and you are my, my disciple, here's what will happen. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's the crazy thing about truth. It's become a very subjective thing in our world today. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody go, well, that's your truth. My truth is different. What? No. If it's true, it's true for everyone. It can't be true for me and not true for you. Two plus two is four. That's true. You, you can't get, you can't change that. It's still four no matter how many, how you look at it. Upside down, backwards, it's still four. And, and, and the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is truth. And you can't get around that. You can't get to the Father. You can't get to heaven. You can't 
You can't find freedom. You can't find wholeness. You can't find peace. You can't find contentment. You won't know satisfaction without Jesus. And that's the truth. And so he's telling us that if you really want to be free, then you have to know the truth. Because the truth is what will set you free. The truth that Jesus is speaking of is only available to those who remain faithful to Jesus' teachings. It isn't a scientific or historical truth, but rather a spiritual truth. And I would say that knowing spiritual truth is the greatest truth you can know. Knowing spiritual truth will open your eyes to see things as they really are. And then you'll also experience the one thing I believe every person on earth deeply desires more than anything else. And I think they're willing to die for it. And that's called freedom. But the problem is, is that the things that hold us in bondage more times than not aren't man-made. In, in the fact that it's you know, taxes or something else that we feel infringes upon our freedom. Spiritual truth is knowing the things about our nature and also knowing things about the nature of God. That's what will set us free because then we know the way of salvation. So the big question is, what do we set free from? And sometimes I think we just we take into the fact that what we really think of when we talk about being free in a spiritual context is that we're free from the, the effects of sin. We're free from the stain of sin on our lives. And we're, we're also free from death because the Bible tells us that Jesus, on his resurrection, conquered death. And that, that set us free. It, it, what Jesus did on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection is that it cuts the chain of control of sin on our life. It's been removed. We're no longer tethered to our sins. We've been given the ability to be free from them. But one of the problems that we have is that we think very generally rather than very specifically. And God isn't a God of generalities. He's a God of specifics. And so he has specific things he wants you to be free from. Because I know that people, there are a lot of people that are still in bondage, enslaved to their past. Something happened in their life at this point in time in their life, and that Thing, whatever it is, sometimes it's self-inflicted and sometimes it's just the washover of somebody else's sin onto my life that splashes on me and, and makes something as a marker in my life that defines my life. This event, this one thing, defines people's life and it defines who they are right now and it's going to continue to define who they are in the future. But the big news and the great news is that Jesus bought the price on that thing and cut the string from it and let us go free from that. We can be free from it. The only reason we're tethered to it, the only reason it has any power over us at all is because we give it power. Jesus says, you're free from that. Go and be free.
Here's what happens with that sin and, and with the enemy. Because we, we see it as such a bad thing, we almost think it's so heinous that not even God would want to deal with it. It's so ugly. This is the lie of the devil. He will whisper this in your ear. You can never get free from this. It's going to control your life. It doesn't matter how much you try. You know it's always there. You know that God will never forgive you. This will be you forever. And we go like, oh, that's so true. And Jesus goes, no, it ain't. That's not true one little bit. You're my child. I've, I've opened up the door of freedom for you, so walk through it. And, and, and that's what we understand from what Paul said to the Galatian church. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and look at this next sentence. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You, you, you're free from the sin, but the problem is, is that once we find the freedom, we're like, I can breathe, I feel fresh, I feel like God's working in me and moving me, and we're, we're moving forward with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, something flashes over here, and it catches our attention. We're going like, oh, and we kind of walk back over there, and we look at it, and we go, I remember that. That was fun. But the fun we remember is that that fun lasted about 20 seconds. And then we had guilt and shame and remorse washing over us again. But what we do, it's like, like there's this shackle with a chain attached to it. And on the other end of that chain is this nasty, dead carcass called sin that just makes us a stinking mess of our life, and we go, clip, we clip it back on, and then we walk around dragging this chain, this shackle, with this dead carcass on it, and it continues to stink up our life. And we wonder, why is my life such a mess? Well, Jesus set you free from that. That's what he's saying here. For the freedom Christ has set us free. Don't submit, don't go back, don't chain yourself, don't get under the yoke of slavery of sin again. You've been set free from that. And here's where the problem is. There's a lot of Christ followers who are still bound in slavery to their sin. Jesus set you free. Be free. <laughs> okay. Man, I... You're wearing me out this morning. I'm trying my hardest here. Here's the big question then. Why are so many Christ followers, why do they live or submit to sin as though they are still in bondage to it? We all suffer from that issue. And one of the things I know is that when we step back, when we step out of the freedom of God back into slavery, what we've done is we said no to Jesus and yes to sin. No to our master, yes, to, no to our new master, yes to our old master. We've, we've decided that we're going to rebel against Jesus and go back to our old way. And, and, and really what the Bible tells us in Ephesians is that we are to put off the old self and put on the new self with all of its righteousness. In other words, put off lying and put on truthfulness put off stealing 
and put on usefulness and work. Put off bitterness, rage, and anger. Put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. These are the things that we get when we have freedom in Christ. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. But often the chains, we chain ourselves back onto it because the old part of us loves the old life. According to Jesus, the only way to freedom is to remain in the word of God. Because the word is the truth, and as we discover the truth, the Holy Spirit reveals to us, we become aware of how we are still bound up to the sin that so easily entangles us. As you grow in the knowledge of truth, the more freedom we will know and experience. The more we remain in his word, the more we become learners of his word. And the more we become learners of his word, the more open we are to his truth. And the more we are open to his truth, the more truth he gives us. And the more truth we learn, the more we can apply to our lives. You see, it's a, it's a, a circular thing. I, I learn the truth, I know the truth, I live the truth, I apply the truth, I get more truth, I live the truth, I apply the truth, I get more truth, and it just keeps going. And what happens is we start to grow in this relationship with Jesus, and pretty soon we take a look back at where we used to say, or where we used to be, and we say, thank God he has brought me to the place where I'm at today, and thank God he's going to take me further. I really think that um, one of the things that happens when we become free in Jesus is that we find a new song in our life. It's a song of joy. It's a song of redemption. It really is a song of grace. It's a song of peace that we've never had before. We did didn't understand it, now we've got it, we still don't understand it, but we don't, we wanted more of it. And, and, and he never meant for us to be self-serving, but rather other serving when we become a disciple of Jesus. Back to what Paul said to the Galatians, he says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, Next point is for us. So don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve others, to, to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This, this, is, this is the way we go. This, you want freedom in your life? You want to know what it's like? The way that you get freedom is by serving. The way that you, you get more is by giving more. It's, a, it's a, a truth about God's economy for our life. But here's the problem. Some of us still have the mindset that we want to be independent person, living our own life, independent of others and of God. And when you're doing that, when you're independent and not dependent upon God, now you become a self-serving kind of a person. You have a self-serving mindset. Your ideas are that others are here for you to use, to meet your needs. And what really has happened is that you think you are a really good Christ follower, but in actuality, what you've become is a Christ user. 
You believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. But you've never moved beyond that place of simple belief. Does that make you a bad person? No. What it will make you is spiritually frustrated. You see others growing in your relationship. You see that they have an understanding of Scripture that you are like, how did they get that out of there? They have a grasp and a knowledge of God's Word that you're going like, I don't get that. I've been a Christian longer than they've been. Why do I feel like I'm still at the same place I was five years ago? I don't think I've made any movement in my life with Christ at all, and I wonder why I'm still here, and it's just frustrating me. And it's simply because you're still a believer and you've not moved on to being a disciple. One of the major distinctions between a believer and a disciple is the disciple is one who has surrendered their life to God. The believer knows this, Jesus is my Savior. And by the way, that's the best news you could ever get in your entire life. It is marvelous. Because what's really happened is you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. And there is no better news for you than that. Having Jesus as your Savior will give you eternal life. It will give you a place at the banqueting table with the Lamb. It'll give you a spot in heaven. You will see those who have gone before you who love Jesus. But being a disciple carries more with it. A disciple knows Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. In other words, I submit my will to your will. You're my King, you're my Lord, you're my Master. I will serve you all of the days of my life. You're the one who rules my life. In essence, when you find freedom in Jesus, freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, from self-condemnation, from selfishness, freedom from everything that would keep you from growing spiritually, when you find that freedom, then you become a servant to Jesus. Wait a minute. I just got free and now you're telling me to become a servant? That's contradictory. That's stupid. Mm -mm. It's freeing. It's amazing. Matter of fact, the Mosaic law found in the Old Testament allowed an um, indentured servant to become a bond servant voluntarily. So you're serving the, your master because you got into some kind of a debt. Now this is within the context of the nation of Israel. You got into some kind of financial debt. This guy gave you the money to get out of debt. But because now you're, you're out of debt over here, now you're indentured to this guy over here to pay. You work for him till you pay off your debt. You become his servant, his slave. And there are some people that go, this guy loves me and he cares for me deeper than anybody ever has in my entire life. So I love him, and my wife loves him, and my children love him. We don't ever want to be anybody else than in, under his care 
as his servant. So we're going to become a bond servant to him. And so what they would do is they would take, the master would take his servant with him before the judges and they would declare their intent and then the master would take his servant to his house and the servant would stand with his ear next to the doorpost and the, the master would take an awl with a hammer and he would pound a hole into his ear and that would signify that he is now a slave, voluntary slave, a bondservant out of love for the rest of his life to his master. Oftentimes to make sure that this was seen, they would put a little earring in it. So it would stay open, so that you would know he's a bondservant. But he gave him all kinds of freedom. And, and that is the call from Jesus to be free, but also to be a disciple for life. Jesus said in verse 36 of chapter 8, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom to rise above sin. Freedom to love others like never before. Freedom to live holy lives. Freedom that we've never had before. The freedom to choose right things. The freedom to choose the best things. The freedom to keep on growing. The freedom to reach out, to reach our potential. And that, my friends, is what it means to be free indeed. And it comes according to what Jesus says. The remaining in the word of God and knowing and doing God's word. But your thought might be similar to what I've had in the past. Every time I get started on, on this thing of freedom and walking in freedom and letting Jesus be Lord of my life, I get sidetracked and I feel like I end up right back where I started. Remember, making Jesus Lord of your life means you have a different master and the Holy Spirit is the one who helps make Jesus your master. How does he do that? Back to Galatians. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the problem we have because our, our flesh is still a part of who we are. Our fleshly nature is still there. It will never go away until you leave planet Earth and you end up in glory with Jesus. Once you get to glory, that earthly, fleshly thing that is always causing you a heartache and causing you problems, gone. But for now, you have that flesh, and that flesh sees something that it shouldn't be seeing, has a desire that it shouldn't have a desire for, wants things that it shouldn't want. And, and what it says is that it, it's going to fight against the Spirit of God. There's always this fight going on. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You have freedom. That's why it's important to walk in the Spirit. That's why it's important to have the Holy Spirit a part of your life. That's why it's important to know the Spirit of God at work in your life. So you're going like, so what do I do then because I'm tired of this merry-go-round that I'm on? Here's what I would say to you. Every day, you have to start if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. If you want to walk with the Spirit of God, if you want your life to be different, if you want to see transformation, here is the thing you must do every morning. 
you start your day with a prayer that says this, among other things. Holy Spirit, as I start my day, I need you to guide me, to teach me, to go before me and come behind me, to control every aspect of my life. Holy Spirit, I give you my mouth that I will only speak what is helpful for building others up. I give you my eyes so that I won't look at anything in an unhealthy or lustful way. I give you my hands and my feet so that as I connect with other people, I can be the hands and feet of Jesus. I give you my heart and my soul that you may fill my heart with love of Jesus to everyone I meet and that you would fill my heart or my soul with the very words of God that will revive me as I go today. Take control of my life, Lord Jesus, and be my king. That is how you become a disciple of Jesus walking in the Spirit. That's how you make Jesus Lord and Master of your life. But how do you, how do we live in the freedom of Jesus? And that comes from the command found in Colossians and make it your goal every day. It says, let the message about Christ in all of its fullness fill your life. It's when the message of Jesus isn't there, your life is filled with something else. Because when it fills your life, then you will teach and you will counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Oh, look, we're going to start singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankfulness in our hearts. This is what happens when you start to walk in the Spirit of God. This is what happens when you become a disciple of Christ. There are things that God does that you would never know if you just stayed and said, I'm a believer and that's good enough. There's more. Much more. And I'm happy for you to have it. So I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for every one of us. Because I I believe that right now in this room, every one of us, God is speaking to us at one level or another. We ask him to do it. And I believe that he's done it. And so we're going to bow our heads in prayer together. And, And there are a number of things that I want to talk to you about as we go to prayer. First of all, there are some of you who would say, I've never made that step to believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him to confess. I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins. I've never confessed my sin and asked him to forgive me and to be the Lord of my life. Well, we're going to pray a prayer in a minute for you. And then there are others of us who are going, I feel like I'm just stuck in that beginning stage of just believing. I believe in Jesus and I know he's forgiven me of my sin, but... I want more. I'm going to pray for you. There are others of you who have been disciples, but something's happened and you're back in bondage to a particular sin. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now I pray that you would come and you would work in our hearts. And I know that there are people who They're going like, I I know a lot about Jesus, but I've never known Jesus as my Savior, and I need that. And so if that's you, just repeat this prayer to yourself. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need my sins to be forgiven. I know I can't do it on my own. I know I've rebelled against you. So I'm asking you to come 
and to forgive me of all of my sin, to cleanse me, make me whole, help me to live a righteous life, and that you would become Lord and Savior of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. For those of you right now that are saying, I kind of feel like I'm at the beginning and I, I, want to, I want to move in and become more of a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I just want you to stick your hand up right now. Put it straight up and then turn it right towards heaven because there's going to be a prayer that's going to come for you. And I want you to receive this prayer from Jesus. Lord Jesus, for every hand that's sticking up right now that says, I'm tired of just living my life in, in a circular motion. I want more. I want to become a disciple. I want to love others unconditionally. I want to know what it's like to, to make you just the person that has everything in my life. I want you to have that. And I, I want to become a disciple-making disciple. And so today I'm tired of, of living this life of just kind of stuck, and I want more of you. I pray, God, that you'd come and that you'd be to them everything that they need and they would know your goodness right now and that they would trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead them into true discipleship. There may be others of you that are saying right now that, that you're going, I feel like my life is, I've gone backwards. I feel enslaved in bondage to a certain something again. And I just need you to pray for me that I would find and step into that freedom of Jesus again. Put your hand up so I can pray for you. Yep, see that person? Yep, keep them up. And again, turn them towards heaven to receive the blessing. Father, I thank you that people want to be free. They want to find freedom in you, Jesus. They know, they know their hearts and they know the things that have gotten a hold of them. And we just pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would give them freedom. That they would, they would walk in the wholeness and fullness of all that you have for them. And that joy would replace the sorrow of this sin. And that you would extend to them your grace and your mercy. I pray that they would know your peace right now, that you would pour it upon them and they would rejoice in their heart that you have done a mighty work in their life. We thank you today, God, for all the things you're doing in everybody's life. And may your name be exalted and lifted on high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.